0: Something I failed to mention before we get started with the sermon, inside of your worship guide, there's a tear-out flap. If you are a guest today, if this is your first time, I want to say thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you could fill that out. You, can, you, you see that it says, hey, drop it in the offering plate, but you can't do that anymore. But it also says that you can bring it to me or to Corey, our Connection Minister, later. And that way we can talk with you. There's also opportunities to serve on there, so take note of that. Now, that's out of the way. Um, one of my favorite restaurants to go to is what they call an entertainment restaurant. It's, it used to be casual dining, but it's an entertainment restaurant, and it's called Bubba Gump's. Any of y'all ever go to Bubba Gump's? All right, any Bubba Gump fans out there? I love the place. Number one, I love the shrimp. I love that you can get multiple kinds of shrimp there. I like shrimp. Shrimps, unless you're Cory Carr and you can't eat shrimp, like it's a really, really good thing. Um, I love it. But what I also like about now he's leaving. I'm so sorry, man. He'll be right back. I oh. hope. Uh, what I also like about uh, Bubba Guns is that they come to your table and they ask you questions. They do trivia questions with you. Now, you wouldn't know this about me, but I'm, 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 I'm competitive. You wouldn't know it because like, I watch pro wrestling, for goodness sake, right? But I love, I love going there because secretly inside I'm like, oh, I hope I get all these questions right today. Like last night I was playing some trivia questions online. You can play online now. And I got them, I got them wrong. But... That is beside the point. A little bit of trivia for you before we get started. Did you know that Forrest Gump, the movie, started, uh, it made its big screen debut in 1994. Anyone ever watch Forrest Gump out there? The first service, there, there was only like half of them that had seen it. I'm like, I'll, I was almost going to have to can the message and go another direction. Uh, so good, then you, you, you know what we're going to talk about in a moment. Uh, it arguably, or definitively, was... Tom Hanks' biggest paycheck he ever received for doing a movie. I know, you're thinking, I thought he would have gotten that for Toy Story 3, the long-awaited sequel to Toy Story 2. He only made $15 million on that. Only made $15 million. He only made $15 million on that. Toy Story 4 coming out next year, really excited about. He's making $15 million. Some of you are thinking, well, maybe, maybe Saving Private Ryan was his biggest payday. $40 million. He made $70 million. On Forrest Gump. It's crazy. 1994, in the middle of his career, the biggest payday he's ever had. Two years after Forrest Gump released to the theaters, the very first Bubba Gump's uh, restaurant opened up in California. And now, today, they've got 44 locations across the world. Bless you. But you probably didn't come to, to hear um, trivia about Forrest Like you, you probably didn't come to hear about that, did you? Although, I do want to tell you this. Uh, if you've seen Guardians of the Galaxy or Jurassic World, or Parks and Recreation, the star of those TV shows, Chris Pine, uh, Chris, Chris Pratt, thank you, Chris Pratt, he was discovered as a waiter waiting tables at the Bubba Gumps in Maui. Which, just for trivia purposes, I'm like, how far away is that from my house? And it's like over 4,000 miles, so I don't think I'll ever go. Anyway, uh, If you've been to Bubba Gump's, I do want to start off just, I want to throw out some softball trivia questions to you. So this is where I need your help, okay? Can you help me out this morning? I'm going to ask you a question that's going to be about Forrest Gump, and then I just need a quick little answer, and let's let's try this out. Forrest Gump's favorite brand of tennis shoes? Nike, all right? Nike, good. So that was a little softball, just warming you up, just getting you going. Uh, When Forrest Gump, uh, when Forrest... Gone off the school bus, and some bullies were chasing him, what did Jenny yell to him? Run, Forrest, run. There you go. Uh, Let's see. Um, Okay, so when Forrest Gump proposed to Jenny, and she declined, and she she moved away, what did he do right after that? He started to run. He ran cross-country. All right, so three years later... Forrest Gump finally finishes running. What did he say when he finally finished running? I'm Todd. Guess I'll go home now. You know? Like, he just... I love it. Uh, like, what, what baffles, like, what you and I probably can't fathom is that, is that Forrest Gump, now he's a fictitious character, but Forrest Gump, like, he, he had all sorts of experiences of things that he had seen and done that no one else would ever do in their entire lives. He played for that terrible Alabama team and got recognized as an All-American. He, um, Good, there's no Bama fans in here. This is good because like, I would have gotten stoned there. Uh, he got to see multiple presidents. He got to meet you know, one of the Beatles. He got, to meet, um, he got to drink Dr. Pepper in the White House. He had an incredible life experience. And he had the future ahead of him. And yet it seemed like whenever, whenever a problem came his way, he ran. And that's kind of like you and me, isn't it? Like whenever a problem comes our way with work, we run the other way. We go miles away. We try to get as far away from the problem with work as, as we could get. Because like we, maybe our boss is, is, is trying to get us to do this particular project or they're really getting hard on us. And we're like, you know, I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to do this work project. I want to move in, into another area or another place. Or I'm not getting the pay that I need to get. And so we want to move somewhere else. We want to get miles away from where we work. And so there's tensions at work, or maybe you bring those tensions home. Moms, dads, you can get this. You bring those tensions home, and like your kids, they want to come play with you. They, like, you come home, and like, hey, Daddy, let's go play blocks. Or your kid's like, hey, I want to go hang out with you, Dad. And, and you're like, you know, no, I've got all this stuff at work, or I've got all these problems at home, and I just want to go into my lazy boy in front of my TV and pass out. Or I want to go to church, and I want to pass out. And we think of those things. Or, or like maybe there's problems with your spouse, and there's, there's a disconnect between your, your husband or a disconnect with your wife, and you're like, I don't want to have that hard conversation. I don't want to have that thing like that we, we really should talk about, but it's going to be too tough to talk about, and so I want to go, go miles away the other direction, and for the first time in like months, you're like, hey, I don't want to deal with this. I'm going to go work out, and your spouse is like, yeah, I've worked out in years. It's not me. I don't work out. But like, maybe you're like, hey, I just want to go work in the shop. I'm going to go in the garage. I'm going to like piddle around. Or I'm going to go into, in, into the backyard. Or I'm going to go do some lawn work. Or I'm going to go hang out with some friends. Like I don't want to deal with whatever it is that I need to deal with. So you want to get as far away from it as you can. What's interesting is that all of those things play into our spiritual lives. And I don't know where you are in the spiritual you know, spectrum, I don't know if you're really close to God or if you're here today and you're just kind of trying this thing out that we call church, and that we call Jesus, and that we call Christianity. And, and you're like, so I don't know where you are on that, but like all of these things, the tensions that you have at work, the relationship problems that you have with friendships or maybe in your small group, maybe here at church, or, or like the things that you have, the marital issues that you're having, and, and, and all of these things play into your spirit. And they play into like your relationship with the God of the universe. And some of you are like, man, I've been praying about that because I've got these problems, James. I've been praying about it and I've been praying about it and I don't know what to do. It just feels like God is so distant. It feels like when I pray to him, like nothing happens and it feels like he's miles away and maybe you're just checking out church for the first time someone invited you you're still trying to understand like you know what is following jesus look like what you know we're singing about it what does following jesus really look like how do i really do that like is that the thing for me and it's because something within you's been stirring something inside of you like feels empty and unsatisfied and so you try you've been trying to find solace in that in anything that you can. It could be in bars, you've been trying to find that, you've been trying to fill that empty solace with friendships, and empty friendships, and more money, and more this, and more that, and you can't find it anywhere. So you're here today, and you're not here by accident, by the way, but you're here today, and you're like, I need this fixed, and I need this figured out. You know what our problem is when we feel miles away? I mean, it's, it's really, it's the same problem each time, and it's the same problem that happened 2,700 years ago to one of God's prophets named Jonah. So, I like, go on and flip with me to Jonah chapter one. But it's the same—it's the same problem that Jonah had, and, and it's the problem of obedience. Because some of us were disobedient. In fact, in fact, disobedience, disobedience will will keep us miles away from work and from friends and from family, and ultimately from God. When we're disobedient, when we feel like there's miles of distance between us and our friends, or our family members, or our work, or God, the root of that is your disobedience. And it's my disobedience. And it's the same problem that we're going to find here in Jonah. And some of you are like, dude, I know exactly the story that you're going to share with us. Because you've been around church for a while, and you've, you've watched through this book. Some of you are like, hey, I've never heard this before never seen the VeggieTales movies on this before, but that's okay. There's, I'm not going to show VeggieTale clips today, but I'm going I'm to share with you just a, while you flip to Jonah chapter 1. He's a minor prophet, but while you flip there to Jonah chapter 1, uh, I want to tell you just a little bit about Jonah. It's only some trivia facts. It's only 48 verses long. Isn't that weird? S- movies have been made about this. Songs have been written. Books have been written. It's only 48 verses long. Stands over like five thousand miles. This book, that this story that we're, that we're about to that we're about to look at, and yet it still brings hope today that it did all those years ago, all those millennia ago. It is a beautiful, beautiful story. Some people they think that Jonah is a myth. They think that this book or this story was fabricated. And I would say you're entirely dead wrong if you're sitting here and you think that it's been fabricated because Jesus himself quotes Jonah and references Jonah. And we'll look at that a little bit later towards the end of the message this morning. But, but if Jesus was like, hey, this is true and this happened, then I believe that it's true and that it happened. And if I believe it's, it's in the word of God, then I'm like, hey, this, this is a real deal. But here we go. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to do verses 1 and 2 and we'll get into this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. He says... Get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their wickedness has confronted me. A few things I want us to look at. I want us to look at the word Nineveh. I want us to look at the city of Nineveh. Here's a few things that we do know. Number one, it's a big city. It's a huge city. It says a little bit later in the book that it takes Jonah three days to walk it. And we know from archaeological excavations that it was a pretty massive city. There is about 125 to 175 thousand people that lived in that city. We know also that it was an old city. Uh, Noah, we've been talking about Noah. Uh, our interim pastor Stephen's been talking about Noah a little bit. And so Noah had a son named Ham. Ham had a son named uh, Cush. Cush had a son named Nimrod. And Nimrod, like Nimrod founded this particular city, we know that it's also it was also the capital of Assyria. And if any of you are history buffs, then you know the image that come to mind when I mention the word Assyria. Because Assyria was a bad deal. It was a bad deal. In fact, they were so bad that they that they commercially exploited people. There was witchcraft actively going on in the city, not in small pockets, but that the city was known for witchcraft. There was cruelty. They would impale people. That's a nice conversation to have later. One of the rulers, one of the kings of Assyria, his name was Sennacherib. He had some some, some glyphs that were created, and underneath those were some inscriptions. And here's one of those inscriptions. He says, quote, he says this regarding Babylon, another Another really bad world power, and Assyria eventually would take over Babylon. Look what they say. He says, "Quote: Its inhabitants, young and old, I did not spare, and with their corpses I filled the streets of this city." I mean, this is some torture. Like I, I think a modern day ISIS, but worse. And that was Assyria. That was Nineveh, the capital of Assyrian rule. And the last graphic detail that I'll give you is that they would force their enemies to grind the bones of their dead ancestors. Who does that? And who does that? And this was Nineveh. What we will know is even though they were weakened at this particular point in history, uh, when when Jonah was going on, what we do know is that they would regain power one day, underneath Tiglath-Pileser III, and underneath his rule, Israel would fall to the Assyrians and Israel is a, is a is a country is a is a physical place would so be no more for a long time. And it's it would kind of directly to go back to what Jonah's about to do. What this means for you? Two things. Number one, God'll tell us stuff, right? He'll say get up and go. So number one it tells us your role is to serve God obediently now as you can't predict the future. Some of you are like, hey, you know, I I know God's telling me to invest in my relationship. I know God's telling me to do this, but, like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to invest in my spouse. I don't want to invest in my kids. I don't want to be a great employee. And, like, God is telling you to go do these things, and ultimately he's telling you to trust his son Jesus. And some of you are like, no, I don't know if I'm ready to make that commitment yet. I don't know if I'm ready to join the church yet. I don't know if I'm ready to give my money yet to this church. And, like, God is telling you to do this, and when you don't do this, you're missing out. You can't predict the future. God is telling you to be obedient now. Number two, your obedience is marked in God's grand story. He says, preach. He says, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach. He's like, I want you to help be a door holder for these other people that don't know me. And they, these other people that aren't in my story. Because these Ninevites, like, they were not a part of God's story. Like, they may be image bearers of God, but they weren't a part of God's story. And he's like, hey, I want them on the inside. And so I just want you to go and be obedient and tell other people about me. That's all he wanted? That's what he wanted. These people were wicked. In fact, I I, I highlighted the word wickedness. Like, for God to say, because their wickedness has confronted me, it lets me know this. It's a double-edged sword, but it lets me know, know this. God notices you. And, and I don't know what's going on in your life right now, and I don't know if there's some bad decisions that have been going on in your life, and I don't know if there's good things that have been happening in your life, but I want you to know that God notices you because he sure, he sure noticed these Ninevites. Like God notices the good and the bad, and he notices, and he's like, hey, but you know what? doesn't matter. I want these people in on my story. Looking at the beginning of the verse, before we move on, he says, get up, go. Like two imperatives, like, you know, the first imperative to go, but to get up like right now. I want you to go right now. Like, I wouldn't be offended right now if you got up and you started to spread the mission of God right now. I wouldn't be offended. And God's saying, hey, get up and go now, Jonah, and share with these people that desperately need to know about me. God wants Jonah to go now because getting them into the story of God is vastly important and will affect history forever. The deal is, like, your, your mission, your mission, folks, your mission, people, is now. It's not like, hey, tomorrow. Like, like James, today, i got, like, in a little bit we're going to go eat, and then, like, it's going to be nap time, or it's like this, or it's golf, or it's football, or it's whatever. And then, like, maybe tonight I'll come back. Maybe I'll come back for a banana. I don't know. But, like, I can't today. Not today. James, I'll do it tomorrow. Like, I don't Like, it's not up to me. I'm not your judge. God wants you to go and do it now. Because tomorrow is too late. Well, James like, when I get all my resources together, when I, when I get all my stuff together, man, that is the lamest excuse I've ever heard in my life. When I have all of my stuff lined up, man, that is dumb. That is the worst excuse. Now, there's a time and a place that a builder makes plans, but the majority of folks that use the excuse like, I'm not ready yet. I ran from God for years before I said, finally said yes and I started to do his mission. And some of you are sitting there right now and like, you are running from God. You are not serving him the way you need to be. Or maybe you are and it's not as faithful as you know you need to be. You cannot wait. Because if nothing else, it's, it's this. And here's a big idea for this morning. If nothing else, it's this. That... Going where God leads yields God-sized results. Like when you go where God leads you to go, when you follow, and that was a song that hopefully you sang earlier, like when we follow after God, when we go where God leads, it's gonna yield God-sized results. Not things that you could have done on your power of your own understanding, of your own financial uh, uh, prowess, but like not of your own strength. But like when you go where God leads, God does what only he can do and he gets the glory for it. And that's a beautiful thing to witness. We don't know what will happen. We can't predict the future. But I assure you, obedience will shape other stories in God's story. Like when you're obedient to God, like that's going to shape other people's stories. So you need to go. and You need to go now. Well, James, I don't have all my acts together. I, oh, I get it. You need to go now. Because God wants you to go now. Let's look at verse 3. However, God, these are compelling things. However, there's always a however for us. Verse 3, however, Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. Here's a question I want you to wrestle with for a little while. What excuses are you giving to not obey God? Oh, well, the light's not right. The music's not right. I don't have my finances in order. I'm not equipped. I don't have my act together. People are going to judge me. People will ridicule me. People are, well, what are they going to say about me? Like, What if people don't support me? Like, and we give all these different excuses of like, why we don't go on the mission for God now. Those are lame. And like when we go and we meet the creator of the universe and Jesus looks at us, I don't think he's going to look at you and say, Oh man, that's a really good excuse. That's fine. Don't worry about it. How pathetic if the Savior of the world panders to our pitiful excuses. I don't think he'll say that. When you make excuses for not obeying God, you rob someone else from God's story. Someone needs to hear how God was faithful to you recently. Like Someone needs to, to see you sacrificially love your spouse. I don't know what your marriage is looking like right now, but like someone needs to see you. It might be your kid, it might be your neighbor, but someone needs to see you Loving your spouse. Someone needs to be blessed by your gifts. Some of you are withholding your gifts. Someone needs to be blessed by that. And someone needs comfort by you spending time with them and not asleep in front of the TV. I would be curious to know how many of you go to sleep in front of the TV today. Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. I'm probably going to go to sleep too. Well, I not have a meeting. All right, so the next word, I'm going to go back to verse 3 there. It says, "Flee." However, Jonah got up to flee. When you don't go where God leads, you get further from the Lord's presence. I mean, he mentions it twice in that verse. And like, like, Jonah went out of his way to disobey. And like, that's the same with us. Like, it's not like, hey, I'm just not going to do that. It's, I'm not going to do that. Now I need to go do this thing. Now I need this person to cover for me. And now my hands are tied. I can't go do this now. Like, we go out of our way to disobey God. Like, I want to show you a map real real quick uh, of Jonah, okay? Uh, Of Jonah's... He he went down to Joppa, it tells us. And then he caught a boat over to Tarshish, which is how many miles away? 2,500 miles. Now, Nineveh, on the other hand, over land, is how many miles away? 550. And, like, I've got another map for you I just want to show. It's like, so he starts over there where the red box is, and he to get to Tarshish, he has to follow the currents and he has to follow the sea route of the Phoenicians, and so he has to go all around the, like he has to go up northeast and all around the coast until he finally gets to Spain. He had to go out of his way to disobey God. Some of you are doing that now. Some of us are doing that now. We often go out of our way to disobey. Now, I want you to read with me verses 4 through 8. It won't be on the screen. We'll get back to the screen on verse 9. So if you don't have your copy, I'm sorry. But verses 4 through 8, let me just read you a little bit more of the story to pick us up. Then the Lord hurled a violent wind on the sea. Hello, Hurricane Katrina. And such a violent storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God. By the way, these were folks that did not know God. They didn't follow God. They didn't follow the God of the Bible. They didn't follow Yahweh. They didn't follow any of this. They had their own God. They were outsiders. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah, get this, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part. So not only is he traveling as far away as he can to disobey God, but now he gets as low as he can to disobey God. And then he had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. Hello. Probably on a lazy boy. Verse 6, the captain approached him and said, What are you doing, sound asleep? Get up. Interesting that he'd say get up again. Anyway, call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to themselves. Let's cast lots. Then we'll know who is to blame for the trouble that we're in. So they cast lots and they singled out Jonah. Verse 8, then they said to him, Tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business and where are you from? What is your country and what people are you from? Now, I don't want you to miss this because verse 9, verse 9 is, is, is an amazing turn of this story. And it can be an amazing turn of your story too. Instead of you being miles away, you can begin your trek back to where God is. Check this out, verse 9. He answered them, I am a Hebrew. I worship Yahweh, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Like all of a sudden, he's confessing who God is. Obedience begins at any time, but it always starts with acknowledging with who God is. And so like you've been, if you've been disobedient recently, if there's been some tensions, if you feel miles away from something, like it starts by reconfessing like who God is. Man, I've been so far away. God, this is who you are. This is why we sing the songs about God and the songs about Jesus that we sing because we're trying to identify together as a group of believers, like, God, this is what we're saying, who you are. And this is what's going on with Jonah here. This is who God is. What's what's interesting, in an ironic sense, is that you experience God's blessings en route to God's destination. Like, God's called you to go somewhere, to go tell somebody about him, and, and you begin to experience these blessings, not there at the destination, but on your way. Because all of a sudden, like these people who didn't know who God was, they're like, hey, tell us about your God. And he could have been like, no, 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 I don't want to. But instead he's like, yeah, let me tell you who my God is. Let me tell you about Yahweh, Creator God. Yahweh God is like, I am. I am that I am. Like, that's God's name. I am. I exist. I existed before existence existed. I exist outside of existence, and I exist in existence. And that's why I believe that everything is spiritual. That's why I believe that your friendships have like play into your spirit. And I believe that your relationships with your husband and your wife, obviously, we see in Scripture with Paul especially, that your relationship with your husband and your wife plays into your spirit. And that's why, like, how you work, when Paul says, hey, everything you do, work as if you're working for the Lord, that plays into your spirit. And so everything, to me, is spiritual. And so when, when all of a sudden we're talking about this Yahweh, God, creator of the universe, then anything, any route that you're on, God is always closer than you think. And so we get into verses verses 12, uh, 10 to 12. Then the men who were even uh, more afraid said to him, well, what is this you've done for the men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he told him. So they said to him, well, what should we do to you? He answered them. Look at verse 12. He answered them, pick me up and throw me into the sea so it may quiet down for you. For I know that what? I'm to blame. He admits it. He doesn't play the blame game. He takes, like Jonah admits his disobedience. Going where God leads requires you to admit your disobedience before you move forward. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're like, dude, that's me, I'm disobedient, before you can begin to move forward, you got to admit your disobedience. You got to say, God, I was disobedient to you. I've been a Christian for five years. I've been a Christian for 15 years. I've been a Christian for 50 years. But God, I've been disobedient to you. That's where it starts before you move forward. And so we look at verses 13 through 16. Nevertheless, the men rode hard. They threw him over. They rode hard, but they couldn't. So they called out to the Lord, Please, Yahweh. Isn't that beautiful? All of a sudden, they begin to acknowledge who God is. Please, Yahweh, don't let us perish because of this man's life. You don't charge us with innocent blood, for you, Yahweh, have done just as you please. And they picked him up and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped raging. Verse 16: The men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. What a beautiful picture. Your destination never ends as your journey goes on. Jonah was in route to Nineveh. And on the way, non-believers, outsiders, began to become into the, like, into the story of God. Now, we don't know if they accepted God as their God. We don't know if they began to follow Him. We know that they made vows. But for, for, for making sacrifices, you know, it's probably they made vows on the ship. Like, hey, as soon as we get to land where we have animals to access, you know. So we don't know. But what I do know is this. What happens to Nineveh? We do know what happens to Nineveh as Jonah obeys. We need to flip with me to chapter 3, verse 10. It's only a few verses away, but go on and flip with me to chapter 3, verse 10. Jonah goes, he says, one sentence is recorded. He says one thing to the entire terrible, deplorable, cruel nation of is- uh, Syria there at Nineveh. And then we look at verse 10. Then God saw their actions that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he had threatened to do to them, and he did not do it. They repented, and God relented. Like a people that were as deplorable, and so, like, you might have a son or a daughter, or you yourself, like, you know, like, hey, God would never want to use me. God would never, you know. God would never forgive me of the stuff that I've done, the shame that I have, the guilt that I have. Like you might think that there's no hope for a particular person or candidate or whatever. You might be like, hey, there's no hope. And I want to let you know that this was probably the worst nation on the planet ever. Ever. But they repented. And God relented. And, and, and to, to, to like even go a little further with that, we see that Jesus points this out in Matthew chapter 12. So if you, if you want to flip there, that's fine. I'll, I'll have part of the verse on the screen for you. But Matthew chapter 12, Jesus points this out. Matthew chapter 12, verse 41. Jesus says, The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at Jonah's proclamation. And look, something greater than Jonah is here. Going where God leads yields God-sized results. Here was a nation. Here was an entire nation of living their own way, doing their own thing, and then all of a sudden they heard the message of God because somebody traveled 5,000 miles just to go on the mission that God had initially called him to do, and he shared God's message of hope, and he tells them about God, and all of a sudden these people repented, and Jesus says that they will stand in judgment of those who don't that they will be standing with Jesus. I'm like that's that's powerful. You need to go on mission because you don't know who needs to hear the story of God from you and from your life and from your voice. And shame on us if we shirk back and withhold our voice and withhold the hope of God of what God is doing in our lives and what God is doing on our journeys in this grand story of God, and and, and maybe a nation would miss out on what God could do. But don't miss this as we finish up. He says, something greater than Jonah is here. I mean, what better thing than knowing that a whole nation came to know the Lord is that Jesus came for us. He's like, something greater than Jonah is here. And Jesus came for us, and he lived a perfect life And then on the cross, he took and bore our shame and our guilt and the punishment that was due you and that was due me from this just God. And he took it right there on the cross for us and he gave his life. But then by the power of the Holy Spirit, he was raised again three days later. And that if we trust in Jesus and his life saving work and power, then we will be with him forever in the story of God. How beautiful. That is something that is greater. Here's where it gets practical for you this week as we close. I want you to commit to being obedient. And I don't don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know if that's, like, at work. You need to be obedient at work. So, like, if your boss comes in and, like, hey, you know that project that I wanted you to do last week or two weeks ago or a month ago? Like, hey, I really need you to do this. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am, I will. Or working that out and saying, yes, you know, I want to be obedient to God. Let me tell you some stuff. Let me tell you about how God's working in my life. If it's at home with your kids, when your kids come and ask you to play blocks, hey, daddy, come play box. Then you go play blocks. Or if your daughter comes to you and like, hey, let's go hang out. Then you go hang out with your daughter. What does that mean? I don't know how to do that. Well, you need, like, you just spend time with them, they'll tell you what to do. And, like, someone needs to see you loving your spouse. And so when, you're, when you go home or when you get in the car later or maybe your spouse isn't here because you, you were fighting on the way, you call them up and say, hey, listen, I want us to spend some time together and we need to have that hard conversation or we need to spend a few extra moments together because we haven't spent moments together in ages. And I need to love you because people need to see my relationship with you so that they can see God working. And ultimately, if you feel miles away from Jesus... He's waiting for you to say, yes, I'll obey you. Have you trusted Jesus? Like, my question for you this morning is, like, what is keeping you from obeying Jesus? What is keeping you from obeying God? Will you trust him today? Let's pray.